CLS is go for main engine, start. Go at throttle up. Negative return. Then we see a nominal Miko. Welcome to space. Hello. Welcome to Off Nominal. I got the intro right. Last week I said Main Engine Cutoff, which is the other show, and Jake was mad at me. But he's not here this week, so I'm happy that I introduced the right show. Uh, we've got another Jake this week because he's being a professional at a conference, so I've got my old friend Tim Dodd down there in the Jake box. How you doing, Tim? Hey, I'm great. Happy to be here. Happy to be talking rockets and photography. A, a, a nice... Nice, nice Tim Dodd topic list. Yeah, so that's why that's exactly Love why it. I was like, oh, I need I need a co-host this week. I got to text Tim because we've got with us Roland Miller, who is an incredible photographer. And look at this B shot I got set up to show off the books here. We're gonna be talking about your books. How you doing, Roland? Good. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you. Uh, so I got one of your books here, Abandoned in Place. I got as a present, a birthday present one year from the last place I worked, Big Cartel. They sent it to me because they knew my love for space. And then the other one, Jake actually sent, I had a baby a year and a half ago, and that was the present for the baby arrival. So I've been gifted both of your books. I'm excited to actually pay my own money for your third book, which we'll talk about in a second. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a copy of it here, a pre-release copy. Oh, man. We might even get a little sneak peek. Well, yeah. Tim, you just, before this, you ran away because you realized you forgot a drink last time you were on the show, and I think you've rectified that this time. Listen, you know, last time you guys kind of made fun of me for, you know, drinking water and hydrating <laughs> mid-afternoon for me. Um, but, you know, today I decided it's it's Thursday, we're going for it. So I decided that I am representing Iowa um, and representing the, this is actually uh, the band Slipknot. You remember those oh, guys? Yeah. They're from Iowa. I'm an old metalhead, and I saw this in the store. It's Slipknot's uh, with Cedar Ridge Distillery out of, wow. out of near Cedar Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And it's actually it's actually quite good. But Cedar Ridge makes really, really good whiskey, so no wow. surprise there. A Slipknot connection. I would never have guessed it. <laughs> right? You just never know. <laughs> Roland, did you bring uh, something fun to drink today? You know, it's only 2 o'clock here in Utah, so I, I'm breaking my... I usually don't start drinking until 2.15, so I'm going to break my rule. <laughs> I've got a, uh, I don't know if you guys will see this, a Uinta. Oh, yeah. Oh, the golden spike. spike. In honor of, uh, well, now it's Northrop Grumman, previously uh, ATK, previously Morton, previously or Morton Thaikal. <laughs> the, the Golden Spike National Historic Park is like five miles from where they build the space shuttle booster, so it's oh, kind yeah. of an interesting connection oh, there. Oh, cool. Yeah, promo code. Yeah, uh, Cocoa Beach Brewing Company glass. So, spanning, spanning the coasts too. It's awesome. You're, you're you're taking us on the on the journey <laughs> of the SRBs as you oh, enjoy right. the smooth, right. tasty hops. <laughs> I've been to both of the. I've been to the Uinta Brewery and I've been to the Cocoa Beach joint. So that's uh, I've I've been to both of the locations that you're sourcing all your material from today. So I'm pumped about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, never, I've been to the the Cocoa Beach one, but never. Uh, yeah, never Uinta. Uinta. Yeah, the Uintas. Uintas. All right. What so, about you? Oh, yeah, I forgot. I'm also involved in this. I have a uh, white wine from Mount Etna. It just is literally called oh, Etna Bianco. It's that's, that's literally just model. on the back. Everyone says, what kind of wine is it? It just says white wine. But it's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, you know, a little Italian tribute to your uh, 
partner that we'll talk about, Paulo yep. Nespoli. Yep. Exactly. Uh, yep. All right. So I wanted to... You, you, so in the books, you've got like a lot of, uh, you've got like an intro to some of them to talk about the work, where it came from. So I feel like you've got some great stories for us that I'm excited to extract from you. Um, let's go in chronological order. Of, of We'll start okay. with Abandoned in Place. Let me, let me shuffle my, uh, my B shot here so I can better feature Abandoned in Place. Uh, and you can see I've got too much stuff on my desk with the wines and whatnot. The timeline of this book is very interesting to me because uh, as you might expect from the name of it i flipped to the one blank page but it is a collection of photos of of i mean not just cape canaveral you've got you know test sites at edwards here where they test the f1 and all that uh it's all about you know the hardware that was kind of left over from the heyday of space but i noticed that all of the uh dates on these are like 90s early 2000s and i'm i just want to know where that idea came from in that era because I look at these pictures from where we're at now, and it's like a t- it's totally different uh, to look back yeah, yeah, where we are in 2022 on these timelines. So I, I was teaching photography at Brevard Community College, now Eastern Florida State College. And uh, I got a call one day at the college from a, an environmental engineer on Cape Canaveral. And he said, you know, we've got an old office building here on the Cape that we haven't used in about 10 years. And we're going to remodel it. And we went in there and he said, there's a photo lab in there. We didn't know it was there. And we've got some old chemicals. He said, if, 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 if they're any good, you can have them for the college. And if not, if you'd help me properly dispose of them. So I said, sure. You know, so I went out there and I get there and he goes, you know, I got to run an errand. Do you mind? And I go, I go, no, on Cape Canaveral. I grew up watching all this stuff. And he, and he goes, well, have you ever seen any of the old pads? I'm like, I didn't know they were old pads. <laughs> In the complex 19, which is the Gemini, all all 10 crewed and other Gemini launches went off there. And we pulled up and I immediately, I'm like, this is amazing. Because it was, the Gemini launch tower is very unique. It was hinged at the bottom and they laid it down right for the launch. Um, but it would be up around the rocket. And after the last launch, they laid it down and they just left it there. Hmm. So I thought, well, I got to figure out a way to, to photograph this stuff. So I started checking around with public affairs and different things and um, mind you, I started doing some of the real early work was with an eight by 10 view camera, which I abandoned pretty quickly because there was so much stuff out there. I, knew I could do like five shots a day and I thought, I'll never, I'll never get what I need to get done. But you know, the, the public affairs people were kind of like, well, you know, yeah, we've got some other people. We'll go out there for half an hour someday. And I'm thinking half an hour is going to take me a half an hour to set that camera up. So I, I just mm-hmm. kept trying, you know, and you know, after two years, anybody I met, I just, you know, it's a real lesson in perseverance. And finally, um, I was getting my haircut in Cocoa Beach, and my barber goes, oh, he goes, so what are you doing with your photography? And I just, you know, so I got this idea, photograph the old pads at the Cape, and he goes, well, I'll get you out there. I'm like, you know, I appreciate that, but I've been trying for two years, you know. I know I'm sure you know, because he goes, no, no, I'll get you out there. I'm like, look, that's great. <laughs> of all people, your barber. <laughs> <laughs> Only your hairdresser knows for sure, as I say. So, you know, I'd, I'd heard that so many times. But he was dating someone in public affairs. And so he set up a meeting for us and I explained what I wanted to do and they got it. And then once I'd gone out there a couple of times and shot, I took the pictures in and showed them to Chuck Hollinghead. And he was like, oh, yeah, this is great. We want to support you and keep doing this. So that's um, that was really how it all started. And then I had an exhibit of the work early on in Huntsville and the curator there said, well, why don't you come up here and photograph some of our stuff, too? So. Then I realized, oh, I should go everywhere. And that's that's really how that all evolved. 
you had access to the uh i was just pulling up this page to the the edwards site where the f1 was tested which i feel like i've only seen like legendary photos of and i don't know anyone that has been to this place so how did you start getting into like you know you, you mentioned with marshall but is that how you started getting into these other sites as well that are i mean edwards is tough to get into in that regard so that must have been a yeah. venture um you know it the thing is it's a big it's a it's a it's a teeter-totter you know it it it's a pendulum. Sometimes it's real. Like right now, I'm actually having a hard time getting access to stuff because I haven't done a lot lately and the public affairs people have all changed and they've changed some of the badging stuff. And um, As Tim knows from firsthand experience, Tim just got denied <laughs> yeah. from the SLS rollout, I believe. Was that the tweet yeah. that I saw? Did I get that story right? I did too. So, um, <laughs> yeah. No one's allowed. Yeah. <laughs> no, no one comes. <laughs> It was funny because, you know, at the end of the shuttle program, they, like, opened the floodgates. They were letting, you know, right. anybody there to do it. And 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 they were saying, the, literally, the public affairs people were saying, oh, we should, you know, we should have done this 10 years ago. You know, this is great. We're getting so much attention. It's like, yeah, that's a good idea. But apparently <laughs> they haven't learned that lesson. I'm sure COVID is a big part of it and other things. But anyway, um, once I had relationships with some public affairs people, I could say, I would write to the other places or call them and say, look, I'm working with this person. Here's what I'm doing. I could send them some, you know, some examples or something. And and I really didn't have that much trouble at that point. Once I, you know, once I had proved what I was doing was worthwhile and I was serious about it, then they took me seriously. So I didn't know. I mean, to be honest, I didn't know. I've only been to Ed, uh, Edwards at one time. I didn't know it was that tricky to get out there. So Santa Susana is another one that's tricky to get out to. So, um, I'm sorry, where, I, I don't know where that. I don't think I've ever San, heard that. Where is that? So Santa Susana is a Boeing facility. Um, up, it's. I'm trying to think originally if it was Rocket originally. Anyway, it's a Boeing facility. It's up in the mountains. It's like an literally an hour from downtown LA. Oh, and they test, yeah. They test. They were testing. Like I got to see an Atlas engine test when I was there. And there was a lot of, they did some nuclear stuff and there was some bad contamination, but there's some really cool test stands there, which are slated to be demolished if they haven't been already. Um, but it was, it, it was really, it was really cool. And, you know, one of the neat things about this is oftentimes my escorts are volunteers and like the, the gentleman that uh, escorted me there, he'd worked out there for years. So he knew all this stuff and it's just, you know, you're, it's like living history while you're photographing. It was just great. That is awesome. Did you have a sense for when you were doing all the stuff at the Cape that like, I mean, obviously it was mid to late nineties when you started the project uh, and went for many years where you, you've got some in like 2005 or six in the book yeah. as well. That was like the, the 10 years of stagnation that then led to the explosion yeah. of activity. And, and I, I think I, I got the book like in 2015 or 16 or something like that. Um, so I had fresh eyes on like the revitalization. You know, that was when if you wanted to yeah. launch a site at the Cape, you probably were able to get your name signed onto one and started redeveloping it. So I feel like if you, you wanted you've a got house a great in Titusville, time. <laughs> if you wanted a house in Titusville, you could have got one for like twenty five thousand dollars. Great for deal. Yeah. I mean it was crazy. It was crazy. So did you like well, look at your work differently then when everything happened and, and everything changed and there's like a new guard that is in the space industry taking over Cape Canaveral and it I don't know, it just brings a different flavor to your images now. Well, you know, it kind of started when they built the Delta IV heavy pad at 37. Because 37, I'd photographed it when it was just abandoned. The old, all that were really left were two kind of two cement superstructures for pad A and B. 
And then they built this huge, amazing launch tower right next to Pad 34, which is, of course, the Apollo 7, the Apollo 1 fire. Um, we, you know, it was obvious that the, what was there was not going to last because it's right next to the ocean and it um, was rusting away before ice. Complex 13, which is now landing zone one for the SpaceX, it was almost completely intact as a, as a launch site. I mean, I think it pretty much was. And so we could go up into the tower and walk around and, you know, really comb the whole, the whole um, thing. Yeah, there's the tower. And what, what happened was those, back in the day when they were building all these towers, they were painting them with lead paint. For some reason, I think some of them even had PCB in the paint. I'm not sure what the theory was with that. I'm sure there was some good theories at the time. And they would oxidize and was contaminating the soil. So they finally decided, and, and, and by the time they took 13 down, it was, um, it, it was so badly rusted, the stairways had collapsed. Uh, I had a, one of my escorts was out there with a group. I wasn't there, but he told me, you know, they, they were out there and, and one of the lights fell off on one of the great big light poles about, you know, 50 yards from and smashed. So, you know, they put a big fence around it and it was gone. So it was out, that was one of the reasons I wanted to photograph it because not that there weren't tons of photographs of, of these sites when they were active, but it seemed like, you know, it was, it, to me, it's like if you could go down to the dock where Columbus sailed, and look at look at what it looked like. You know that that's it's literally that important. And I get why you can't save it all. It's mostly the environment and what these things are made of. The you know the the steel and the and the <clears throat> salt water air there just and this and the Florida sun just. Uh, they the Park Service apparently did a. I've, this is I have no proof of this, but I heard tell they did a um, research project to see about saving Complex Thirteen. And restoring it, and then maintaining it, and to um, restore it, it was going to be ten million dollars, and this was back in the eighties, I think. And to uh, to keep it up, it would be two million dollars a year. Well, like the whole maintenance budget at that time for Cape Canaveral was like one point two million dollars or something. So <laughs> they, you know, it was not practical. So I, I thought, well, I can do it photographically, and at least we'll have some view of what it's of what it's like. Yeah, it's and that's exactly what I mean. That like you look at this, you know, you took this shot in '92, and you think today what's happening at this complex is it's like an alternate universe. You know, you've got mm -hmm. the Falcon Heavy side boosters coming back and landing here, and and I just think that's no, you couldn't have predicted at at the time you were taking these photos that it would be revitalized in the way that it was. You know, if you if even if you imagined how it would come back, you'd write a totally different story than than what we're seeing today, right. uh, and that's. Right. And then, and then you get into you know some of these photos that you had in uh, the blockhouses and things like that. Um, these facilities that are like were literally made to be indestructible. That yeah, you know, in some way, this stuff is never going away because it's so. It was built to be. It was built to survive. You know, like the craziest explosions on Earth. Um, yeah. But what do you do with a room that looks like this, other than stand in it and be like, "Wow, this looks incredible." <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they took Complex 14's blockhouse right before John Glenn's launch. So Complex 14, they I never got to photograph it up close early on because they had built a hypergolic fuel storage facility just east of the launch wrap, like literally like 30 feet or so east of the launch pad. So it was off limits. You know, there was nobody going. And then I think it had something to do with John Glenn going back into space. They realized that that was 
historic site. So that thing got moved out and then they opened it up. And Sam Bedingfield, who was one of the first NASA employees, actually worked for NACA originally, I think. I think he told me he hired Gus Grissom. Anyway, he um he he, he was my escalator. Again, amazing, you know, just amazing stories and um, but they turned the right about that same time they took the blockhouse and turned it into a conference center. So they, but they've taken some of those blockhouses down as well. The big, um, it's interesting. The big superstructure, like for Complex Thirty Seven and some of the some of the real large concrete structures, they don't really have a good way to demolish them. And it's not because they can't. I mean, they can they can blow stuff up, but they're actually worried that if they blow. And this is an engineer that told me this. If they blow, if they use enough explosive to blow some of the, to, to demolish those, they might damage the aquifers underneath them. <laughs> so, oh yeah, God. that's, you know, that's so just, and that's where the whole abandoned place thing comes from. And it's such a, you know, it was such a metaphor for kind of our, our uh, we were on our way to the moon and, and you know, and, and then, and that the moon and then on our way to, we thought, elsewhere but the reality is that you know the space shuttle program was a real necessary step you know you can't the difference between going to the moon and going to mars is the difference between walking around the block and walking around the world and carrying everything you need you know it's a whole it's just a whole different level so i look at the and i'm you know i have a very reductive view of the whole space program because i'm i'm just not that smart but i look at this arc of you know you look at the the pre-crewed missions, you know, the, going all the way back to the captured V2s, on up through Mercury, Gemini, Apollo, shuttle, Skylab, through Skylab in there, ISS, and, you know, now SLS. And they're really, it's a very conscious set of steps. You you have, they had to have the shuttle to build the space station. They, we have to have the space station to understand the effects of long-term exposure to weightlessness and radiation. You know, you, you, it, it, you can't, you have to learn those things, and that's the way to do it. And it's so people get all, you know, I don't want to start wars, but people complain <laughs> about the space shuttle program, and they oversold it, and it costs more, and it took, you know, they didn't launch 24 a year. They launched nine, I think, the most in one year. But it did, it It served its purpose, you know, which the main thing was really to build the space station. They did a lot of other stuff. But in, you know, in that arc, it has a place, and it did its job, and, and ISS is doing its job now for how long we'll see but you know it's it's so it's it's that's one of the things i enjoy about this i i, I like to I've been able to see how all these things connect and that it's you know you can't just pick one program or one rocket and say well you know this is not going to work it doesn't matter look at the big look at the overall arc the arc is going in the right direction we're moving in the right direction mm-hmm. i have to so say I'm personally watching, that it's the beer i can't help it. <laughs> that's what we're here for i have to say for me personally you know my my personal arc of the space shuttle and my love for it or this you know dislike for it has gone from like you know admiration as a child you know the, the poster to getting you know angsty going oh it costs too much and now i'm back to like i just think it's just the most beautiful yeah. you know wonderful piece of engineering and, and the more you learn about it, i mean yes it had its flaws but Oh, it was so cool. Did so many things. I, I just wish that we had an alternate history where they could have, you know, iterated on it and had an option that wasn't uh, trying to be built around the concept of the once around from Vandenberg. Mm-hmm. If it had, if that was right, not right. part of the shuttle's history at all, I mean, right. I think we would look back at the shuttle so much differently. Yep. But 
the stupid Vandenberg once around <laughs> really altered and changed it for uh, definitely the worst. Weren't they going to capture us in satellite or something crazy like that? Wasn't there some? Yeah, here it is. The old, yeah. uh, the yes. now Delta Four or Delta Four Heavy and Delta Four launch site that is uh, still yeah. got the same structures and all, which is one Split of the coolest 60, looking. Right? Yeah, the, I mean the that, pictures from when they rolled the shuttle out there. Uh, it's just, it, it's that, so of an era that it's like amazing. Yeah. So we're, we, when I took that, we were up on a road looking kind of down at you know into that basin. I had a lot of friends that worked out you know, for the shuttle. And they were like, that little valley basin on the ocean, they said, people were saying the reverberations of the SRBs are just going to tear everything apart. They were terrified that, so, uh, but anyway, um, I remember yeah. looking at that, at that launch site thinking that looks, it looks like a space launch. I mean, it really looked like a super high tech, doesn't look as much nowadays when you see what we have, but it, it really did look like a space launch complex. Yeah. I agree. I mean that those pictures to me are the, are the epitome of, uh, you know, like guy. I guess like my, my childhood. You know, yeah, like right there, that image just feels like the Lego set I had as a kid. <laughs> totally, it's the Lego set. Man. It. The Lego set. I don't know that what is such it, a good one. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but like it just makes it's me, the red it launch tower. The red launch. The red launch tower <laughs> and the USAF on the yeah. on the vehicle assembly building thing, and I don't know. It just the does worm something to kicking me. Kicking around I, still, like yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I do find a lot a... of uh, resonance, though, between the the way that you're talking about photographing these launch sites to, Tim, what you have been up to in Boca Chica, though things have slowed down a little now in Boca Chica world. But, like, there's it's hard to look at that and say this isn't the modern-day equivalent of all this infrastructure being built. Everyone's taking photos of every little detail of this thing. And, and you know, again, we're building a lot of steel structures right on the beach. <laughs> Like that, yeah. that shit is not built for longevity unless they're going to upkeep it all, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. They, you know, they would, I'd be, I'd be photographing on the shuttle launch tower and they'd be a level or two below me painting. It was just constant, you know, yeah. I, I had a, um, <laughs> I really wanted to get out to the, the launch pad right after a launch. So I, I kept pressing. Finally, one time I got to go out after SCS 125. It still was like 48 hours later, but that was as quick as they would let me out there. And uh, they were already painting and doing stuff, and and I was up on the mobile launch platform, and they and they were the the hold down arms have those I call them flaps that that close. They're called blast shields, but they capture the frangible um, nuts that release the shuttle. So, um, and they were taking those off, and they're like you know they're like three by four feet or something, and putting them on pallets and hauling them away. And I was photographing that, and I, and I didn't know what they I want to know what they were called, and I always try to talk to the people at these places because they're great. They, you know, they love the NASA people. You guys know, they love talking about their stuff. Mm -hmm. They just go into it. And so there's this tech, you know, this guy in a white coveralls, he's hauling one away. I go, excuse me, can you, can you tell me the technical name for that? He goes, these, he goes, these are slammer downs. That's a I don't think that was in the you know the technical diagram, but it was a perfect description. You know, it's way better than blast shield. So, the slammer downs. I love that. I I feel like I should share my uh, a little like early days of me trying to do photography at Kennedy Space Center, and because some of it kind of reflects here, and and I think resonates with kind of what you've experienced, and and it's sort of on the back end of that stuff. So for me. The first launch I ever tried to go to was uh, in 2014 was CRS-3, so the third 
SpaceX mission uh, to the International Space Station. The first time they put landing legs on a rocket. Um, and I happened, you know, I ended up getting media credentialed through uh, Space Flight Now. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it was my first time out there really as, as an adult. And I, you know, went to the, the visitor center and I walked around. And honestly, I was, I was sad because at the time there were the Constellation program had ended. They weren't quite, you know, they were kind of shy about like SLS and what's going to happen with Orion. It was just sort of a little bit still fumbly. So you still saw Constellation stuff. There's like you could buy Constellation things. And, and when you're looking around at like, well, what's next? It almost was like, Mm-mm. and and just felt like the whole place was this like graveyard of of greatness of what had been, you know, there's like, look at all these things we have done. And it's like, well, what are we doing now? you know and and it was actually a really interesting time and and at the time they were very sensitive to the idea of abandoned hardware and abandoned things i was you know this is this is an obsession with mine too i i dream of doing what you've done here i mean this is just absolutely incredible but um they were really sensitive to the the idea of like portraying the launch site and kennedy space center as this abandoned you know, like a has been almost, you know, and yeah. and, and they were trying to sell it, especially as a, a modern day commercial spaceport. And now I think they'd be a little bit less sensitive to that because it's it yeah. is a modern day spaceport now. But yeah. it's just interesting to see see that story arc. Um, but it's so cool that you got to be at these pads and do all the stuff at the time when you did, because I don't I think that was a pretty small window of time where it was. It was true to life like that, you know. Well, you know, and after 9-11, it, it changed, you know, like I said, there. And there, you know, there, there were generally we had pretty good. Um, I had pretty good access, especially the early '90s, from '90 90 to '93, had real good access. I really did kind of the bulk of it then, and that's. And then I thought I was done, really. And then they started taking down. They took down thir- thirteen, they took down thirty-six A and B, they took down forty, and so I got to go photograph all those before they took them down and be there for the demolition and go in and. Um, photograph right after like uh what was it 36 i was i went in right after the demolition and we're walking around and and later on they found some un, un, undetonated ordnance still attached to it so Whoa. yeah but, I, Yikes. Um, yeah you know I, I consider myself very lucky and it was just you know as a kid i was you know i was born right before the 60s so i grew up with all this stuff and it was it was like magic you know it was like it was like science fiction come to life. So getting to photograph and explore those areas. And sadly, nobody, you know, sadly, you, no one else can really do it. I mean, I'm, you, you think I might be happy about that, but I'm not because it means I also can't go back. Most of pretty much all the steel structures are gone mm-hmm. and most things are gone. You know, and it's a balance between like landing zone one. Do you want to just lock all these sites up? Um because it's valuable real estate for launching rockets, you know, and complex 34 is a very special, I would call it almost a sacred place. And I hope they never do anything there. And I don't think they will. I don't think they will either. But have you guys had a chance to go out there? I have. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's, it's really a very moving site and, um, and just also a really beautiful place. I mean, it's just a really right by the ocean. So, but yeah. yeah, you know, it always it's it, it's you're kind of at the, there's politics involved in where you get access and how you get access and and when you get access and it changes constantly and I've been lucky again. That's where the you know the perseverance comes in. You just got to keep 
trying, and you can't be an obnoxious jerk about it. You have to be polite, but you don't you don't give up. You just keep pushing, and it works out hopefully. So you uh, yeah. let's talk about the next book too. The the uh, interior space. Uh, this has a totally different story that I find completely amazing. And the first couple pages of this book that you go, you go into where this all came from. I'd love to unpack that a little bit. Uh, you yeah. were at EFT one is where this was, this idea was born. Yeah. yeah. So, well, yeah. So I had to back it up a little, I'd had some of the abandoned place work up in the crew quarters at the operations checkout building back in the late nineties. And I got a call at the college from Katie Coleman, uh, NASA astronaut. And she'd said, Oh, you know, she left a voicemail because I was at a conference. Of course, the only time, at least I thought then, that I would get a call from an astronaut, I, I'm not there to get it. And she'd gone to a lot of work to, like, track me down and, find, you know, call me. And she said, just want to let you know how much, uh, you know, I like this work. And my husband, Josh Simpson, is a glass artist. And we're, visual arts are really important to us. And she went out and she left a really nice message. So when I got back, I called out there. She was gone. So, you know, didn't really think much more about it. And then in 2014... Uh, EFT one, they brought four astronauts out to meet with the press. And so she was there. And so I went up to her and introduced myself and I said, you're probably not going to remember my work, and, but she did. And she said, Oh yeah. And they said, you know, it'd be great if, if, if you could figure out a way to get your photographic approach, your vision to the astronauts on the international space station, you know, think about how you, how you do that. And I said, oh, okay, when well, an astronaut tells you something like that, you, <laughs> If anything involves getting something to the space station, you're like, I'm going to drop everything in my life and figure this out right now. You know, it may have been very off the cuff for her, but I took it seriously. So I put together a proposal. I sent it to her and she liked it. And she said, "Um, you're going to, you know, we're going to need to hook you up with an astronaut if if this is going to happen. And I said, I know the perfect person, Paolo Nespoli, who I was on the station with. Um, And so she connected us and he called me and uh, I was there to get the call, thankfully. And, uh, we talked for like 45 minutes and he was great. He said, he goes, you know, before we started talking about the possibilities or anything, he said, this is so neat because we really should be sending artists and poets and philosophers and theologians into space. But, you know, we don't have the resources to do that now. It's just not practical, but someday we will. He said, but this is a way to get kind of get there without doing that. And he said, you know, but what my proposal was to tether a DSLR to a laptop and have the, you know, cast that image back to Earth. And I'd be in like mission control or something and directing the astronaut where to, you know, how to photograph, which actually would be really cool. I would have been under tremendous pressure because I probably would have gone, you know, he said, you know, he said, that's all doable. That's, you know, he said, but, you know, you need a comm link and a data link and a video link and an astronaut time, which is, you know, really hard to get. And so my heart is sinking and he goes, but I think it's such a good idea. I'd be willing to do it in my, in my personal time. And so, so then he said, instead of, he said it very politely, but I would say, instead of the crazy complex method you want, why don't we just email images back and forth? I'm like, Oh, that's a good idea. So that's, that's how, that's how we did it. And, and then um, I went down to photograph uh, right Right before, right after he le- launched, I went down to photograph the mock-up. So I had a feel for the space and the layout. And while I'm there, Dan Hewitt, who's a public affairs guy, escorted me. He goes, you know, we're releasing a, a Google Street View map of the interior of the station in two days. And he goes, I can even give you access early. I'm like, really? And so we did. And, and I realized, because the mock-up is, there's really two mock-ups. There's the space station training facility that's, 
that's um, really just bare bones. It's really more about practicing escape and emergency procedures. Then there's one where, that has all the equipment that they actually learn how to operate the equipment. But it's it's kind of laid out like, you know, roughly like the station. But, but it was going to be hard because the station is much more complex and changing. So those are really nothing like the station. Anyway, the Google, I could go into Google's uh, the Street View and do screen captures and send those to Paulo. Here, I'm going to make this closer to my B camera so that people could see if I know which way this operates. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so on the left is the Google street view on the right, right is Paolo's image. So, and one of the cool things when I started getting images from them was how much they felt like my images, you know, and people said, well, how can you take credit for those images? You didn't take the picture. I'm like, well, no, but I was, you know, I literally told him what to do. Now, Paolo was a brilliant photographer to begin with. So, and he, you know, it was a, it was a truly, a truly collaborative process. So we both are credited with the images, but uh, yeah, it was, so it was ended up being this really amazing experience. And the goal was to document the interior in a way that wasn't being done. Most of the photographs that are taken are of experiments or people. And if they're, you know, they're, most of them are taken with a flash. Well, of course, the flash falls off over distance, so it's bright in the foreground and really dark in the background. I wanted to get photographs of what it would look like if you were standing there looking at it. So he did almost everything with available light, which meant I thought he would shoot at uh, 3,200 film speed, a real high film speed. But he ended up figuring out a way to cobble two of the Manfrotto arms together and, and, and lock the camera in place, like on a, a bipod, basically. And, it, and, and so the first images I got back were at 100 ISO, and they were tacked sharp. I'm like, how did you do this? You're you like, wow, space think. works totally differently than I thought in my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, people like, well, could you, you can't use the tripod because it would just float up. You know, there's no, but yeah. does not work. So his experience and his knowledge in photography, it was, it was just, you know, he, he really was the perfect person to do it with. So, that's amazing. Did you have any insight in that to like the the training that astronauts get on photography? Because especially the the time at which this project was going on was before commercial crew, so it wasn't like they had a you know a lot of extra astronauts floating around the ISS. It was right, right, it was right. a handful of astronauts at a time. Um, but they yeah. all they've got I mean you know camera equipment that most of us would salivate over that is floating around yeah. the ISS up there. But so like what is the training like for them and and did you get to experience that at all to help inform like the way to communicate with them on uh well, what to actually photograph? So I, I I didn't have a lot of experience with that. I I actually sent ironically I look back and it's laughable. I put together like a little composition primer for Apollo just in case, you know I didn't know cuz I knew he knew the he's an engineer. I knew the technical part wouldn't be hard, but he's actually a, a great photographer all on his own um the funny thing was i i i did contact the iss imaging office and i said can i get a list of all the lenses you have on the iss so i can kind of plan and, and uh, the guy in charge he, he writes back he goes well yeah i can do that he goes we have all of them and i'm like you have all of them he's like yeah we have all of them so i'm like oh, okay well then I, I said i don't need the list i can look that up we have all of them <laughs> multiple you know sets of, of some of the more common ones yeah they have literally have every lens that nikon made up there so wow um, Do you, are you by the way are you a nikon guy or are you a canon guy you know only because i was nikon film and when i went digital i switched to canon only because one of my friends was a, a canon rep and he like he loaned me the eight an 800 millimeter lens for the I guess it was sgs 133 which was great um 
I knew I'd be able to get camera gear. You know, I always tell people, you can't tell which, which camera took which picture. So it's really more your personal preference, whatever you like. You know, I'm very happy with the Canon. I, you know, it's once you get your muscle memory, you know, honed in, it's kind of hard to switch. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's like, I I was futzing around with Canons when I was, you know, 12. So it's just, I guess I'll get a Canon next time too. Yeah, you get a new brand loyalty and all those things. And I was a very loyal Canon film shooter for, you know, decades, but it just happened to be that I knew I'd have access to some great lenses. And um, <laughs> it, was a good, it was a good way to go. I'm cheap, if you can't tell. That's my bottom line on that stuff. <laughs> the, the detail shots in this book are my favorite uh, ones. The ones of, of like actual workspaces. And, and there's, uh, I got to find them in the book. There's like, one of all the valves and everything that that is in some of the uh, Eclipse systems on board, and I I love those shots because those aren't the ones that are going to get posted to Flickr of of like here's the ISS flying over you know the you know right. Sinai Peninsula and it's beautiful with the sand and the ocean and the stuff that we like to see also. But as space nerds, you're like yeah, but what is the workspace like? How is it arranged when there is no gravity and and some and even like this one here, you've got all these pens. And yeah. Sharpies lined up on, you know, like Velcroed to the wall. It's just uh, mm-hmm. kind of interesting to, to see the mechanics of their workspace. Um, I, I was wondering I, if, if any of these, um, did, did Paolo say, hey, I noticed you didn't ask me to photograph this area of the station that looks particularly interesting. Did he have any of those kind of things for you when he was up there? He didn't. I think he took a couple. I've never really gone back and checked. I think there are a couple he took that may not have been specifically what i was asking for but that one that one was one i'm pretty sure um yeah you know um trying to 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 show again the stuff you don't normally see that was really the goal and and to to get a feel for what it what would be like up there um i like that picture because i have that same label maker at home here so i feel like (laughs) space you know space worthy product in my house (laughs) <laughs> and and you've got a, a original iPad, or maybe this is like I don't know. It's a thirty pin connector I'm looking at on here, so <laughs> that's some pretty uh, old yeah. iPad hardware. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're they're high tech in it there. <laughs> well, you know that's the thing that they. So when speaking of cameras, so I, I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but I think they had the. I think when Paolo went up, they had the uh, the D4s, and then they got the D5s in. It was funny because he said, yeah, the D5s came, but we were doing other stuff and they didn't have prioritizes. So he goes, we all volunteered to, to you know, they have to set them up to be to work on the station. He said, we all volunteered to get those out and set them up on our own time because we wanted to use the high resolution camera. So, the, you know, those are all, most of those are 17 megabit pictures. They're not real, you know, they're not, well, uh, that's big compared to a lot of things, but they're not as big as, I shoot with a 50, uh, you know, camera. So it, it, it's, but they were all, you know, they were, so they were into the photography and they're all really, I think, into the photography and Paolo did all that stuff at night. So nobody would be in the shot, you know, he'd, he'd stay up and get that done. So he did That's yeoman's amazing. work. And he, you know, because it was so complex to set it up on that thing at the very, the last batch he shot, literally some of the last hours, the last day he was on the station, he did go and shoot some stuff at our higher ISO without, uh, Without a tripod, but yeah. yeah, it's amazing. You also have some shots, um, like this one, the the fit test. Was this the actual hardware that they were checking oh, out yeah. that, before launch? Yeah, that's that's in the high bay. Yeah, so I, I, you know, whenever I get a chance to shoot anything, I had no idea. I'd, this was, you know, 
what almost this was like almost 20 years before yeah. I did the project with Powell. So I was able to get into the high bay and photograph some of the equipment. And it just I thought it worked out, you know, great that I could show that. Um, I mean, I'd really love to do. A, a, can you imagine doing a project? What I did on the outside of the station, how amazing that would be. Now, obviously, <laughs> that's not going to happen. But, you know, that would be a just a tremendous, a tremendous you know, document of what the exterior of the station looked like. Um, you might be so. able to convince some future private astronauts to do a couple extra EVAs oh, and go out and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll have to work on that. You know, maybe yourself. People you know, are, they start offering yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, get invited. You know, talk to Jared Isaacman. <laughs> they're sending me to the space station. I'd yeah. go if they said. I'm pretty sure that's not in the cards right now. <laughs> but people will say, "Oh, did you go up to the space station?" I'm like, "No, I didn't. I work with the guy who was up there. <laughs> they didn't send me to the space station." <laughs> um, wow. yeah, I just continue to look at some of this stuff. That I mean, the amount of things that they have in the mock-up center. They have like the plant habitat, you know, in the mock-up oh, center as yeah. well. Um, just some stuff that is like, I, I wonder why they're mocking up this with plants actually growing in these things. But uh, they're plastic. Those are plastic. Plants. Plastic plants. Okay, <laughs> it's like IKEA. They went to IKEA, got a couple of those fetchkas, <laughs> throw them in there. <laughs> I think it's the you know the feel of that there are plants. So, hey, what's in here? Oh, there'll be plants in there. You did have one photo yeah. that was kind of bizarre. Uh, I think it was this one. Is the this one? Well, oh, yeah, yeah. This one is the mm. training mock-up, um, yeah, which yeah. you also have a photo of the outside here. Yeah, that yeah, is a yeah, cupola yeah. built with like monitors plugged into where the windows go, and yeah. I want to build one of these in my house. Yeah, it's really <laughs> cool. It's really cool. So did you, you got to go in this and poke around? Did you like play with the arm or anything? Or they were doing some testing stuff. I didn't get. They don't let me play with the. the you know, the, I, I try not to touch anything when I'm uh, in these things. They they frown upon that, but yeah. But it was cool just to be, just to be in there. Yeah. So yeah, they just have monitors mounted like that. You know, and who writes the software for that? That's why I keep thinking, how does somebody know how to do that? Because it's a one-off. You know, it's not like there's. <clears throat> so. Yeah. Maybe you should sell those. You can sell those. <laughs> VR, VR goggles are cheaper now, though. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are. that's and probably less distracting. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be amazing. Yeah, that's so cool. Uh, I I want to kind of go back to the abandoned stuff because I want to bring up a topic, uh, if you don't mind, that I think would be uh, blending of some worlds right now because the abandoned in place stuff is just like I, I I love that. I love that. I also love Soviet space history, and. Yeah. Unfortunately, right now, I mean, I don't, I th don't know when the next time anybody's going to be able to be anywhere near some of that stuff, you know, mm -hmm. and, and Roscosmos and, uh, you know, and Kazakhstan and stuff. And that makes me really sad because, you know, they have probably way more than we do. You know, they abandoned a lot more stuff than we did. And I don't think they would they demolish much of their stuff. So I can't. Um, can you imagine going to Baikonur and just, you know, having the access that you had at Kennedy Space Center, I bet you there's images galore that would just be absolutely incredible, you know? Well, I have, trust me, I've had a list of several things I wanted, like five things since the, well, I've really had it since I started that project, probably for nearly 30 years. Because once I started doing the other launch sites and test sites in the U.S., I thought, oh, I need to go to Russia. That has been on my list, but it's so, A, it's going it, to be very expensive and the politics of it, you know, getting the access and, um, the, the funny thing is when Abandoned Place came out, I was getting contacted by RTV. 
they wanted to do pieces on it. And I kind of put them off because I figured they were trying to, you know, they would use it as propaganda. To, oh, look at the Americans. Mm. And then I talked to somebody right. who'd been over quite a bit. He said, oh, he said, our stuff looks like it's 50 years old. He goes, their stuff looks like it's 200 years old. So mm. it would be, yeah, this, you know. Yeah. The Baron photos. Yeah, yeah. That this one was be... a weird story, right? Where the, like, this was... They they acted like this was not officially commissioned, but I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, did they allow someone to go in with full access and just say go go crazy in here, or and then they there wanted to make it seem like they snuck in because it's still under guard? I don't know. No, there, was a, there was I think it was a French photographer, I may be wrong, but who like hired some guide and they came in from the desert side yeah. and, and literally spent three days in there. They had somebody, you know, they patrol it, but very randomly, and they had somebody like literally just watching for the guard so they shut everything down and they were in there i think they had lights and stuff um yeah ralph quite... myrebs if i remember right was the photographer that did that or one of the ones yeah. but yeah those images are incredible i mean well, yeah uh, yeah uh, scary I mean, to yeah to photograph uh Gagarin's launch pad which they're we're, we're still, still using, using i think it, they yeah. missed, you know that would be just amazing just amazing. Mm-hmm. the baron stuff and, and that's been a even more bizarre story now, right? Like that's it's owned by a private individual who's trying to sell it back to Roscosmos or something. What's the first this? first goals? He wants the that's skull right. of something, and this is dead oh serious. My God, that's he right. will give them back to Russia if, uh, or you know, in Roscosmos if he gets the skull of something, something. I don't even know what this is. Yeah, here I've pulled up an article on it. <laughs> okay, that's what he wants in return, and this is this is genuine. And the two Barons, by the way, I just learned this the other day because I thought they're—I thought they're both potentially future orbital. Only one of them is actually, uh, like, basically the second Baron that was supposed yeah. to go orbital. The other one was a flight test article, um, and uh, so it wasn't orbital. But uh, there's one that's being transported right now outside of Moscow that yeah. kind of made the rounds on Twitter the other day. But that's not one of these, unfortunately. In exchange for the skull of the last Kazakh Khan, a man named, I'm um, not even going to attempt it, Kenesari Kazimov. Uh, yeah, this is incredible. So it is a, who is this that owns it? A businessman, Darian Musa. Hmm. That's, what a bizarre. Claim, claims story. ownership. Like, did, did yeah. it just conquer it? Like, did it just put a flag down and say, this is mine. <laughs> Trust me, I have an NFT it, of it. Is at that least what he Richard like, Garriott legitimately bought a rover at an auction, right? Or maybe he bought an NFT too. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, it is sad though, man, because the the Baron stuff in particular is is you know you you often see abandoned stuff after a program's finished or you know it's been decades after it shut down. But Baron was like you know flew once and then everything collapsed for them, and and then it was like. Uh, have you ever been to, if you've ever been to London, there's the Imperial War Museum, and they also have the uh, Churchill War Rooms section of this museum, which was a bunker in, it was in the basement of like the Treasury Department or something, that they operated the entire World War II effort out of uh, for, wow. the, for the British Army. But when the war ended, they just left and forgot about it, legitimately forgot about this place, founded in the 70s, completely intact from the last wow. day of World War II. Oh, and man. so you can tour through this. They have like plastic up on the walls and stuff that, that you can't like go into the rooms, but you can see the maps with like all the actual, you know, the, the little yeah. tokens of, of which battalions wear and all that. And Baran is such a similar thing where it was like, they didn't intend to stop the program right then. It just stopped because of external uh, forces. And 
everything was left as is. And it's sad that that is the state, you know, that people have snuck in there and stole stuff out of it. And, it, and they're not complete and they never will be. And they're probably going to be destroyed when that thing collapses on them, much as the original yeah. Baron was, you know, it's just mm -hmm. depressing yeah. when you look at it, you know, and, and hell, I mean, now they're, the war is taking things like the AN-225. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, tragic. It's, it's a yeah. rough time. Man. There was uh, um, one of the, the public affairs people on the Cape wanted them to chain the doors to Complex 36 shut and just leave it when they were done. And, you know, of course, they didn't do that. I photographed it. They were dismantling it. They were going through the, I can't remember who the contractor was that had it, but they were they were going through pulling all their stuff out and throwing it in the dumpster because they thought somebody else would come in and have access to their stuff. So they just trashed all this, you know, all this computer gear and data gear. It was, you know, sad because it, it, they could have put it in a museum or something. It would have been yeah. really amazing. They left all the government stuff. So there'd be racks and half stuff would be gone and in the dumpster. Well, that reminds me too of uh, the, you know, kind of when they were dismantling 39. Uh, I remember, so again, going out there in the in 2014, I think it went like three or four times in 2015. For a little while, there was a whole like scrapyard kind of near where Blue Origin is now, um, across the street from where Blue Origin is now. There's a whole scrapyard and there was an old the, the hydrogen beanie that would sit on top of the hydrogen tank. There's one sitting out there. I, I think it ended up actually in the museum. But there was talks of it just being full-blown scrapped. And it was like, yeah. oh, please don't scrap this. I think there's yeah. one in the OS display now, but that's hopefully that's it. Yeah. You know, you can't yeah, you I mean, can't since you can't save everything. And and it's just a matter of fact. You, you know, it just you just you have to find a balance between saving what you can. They you know, for a long time they had the Apollo launch umbilical tower cut up in huge sections out behind the headquarters building at KSC. And there was a group trying to raise money to restore it and all this, and they never could get enough money because it was astronomical, no pun intended. And they eventually said, you know, now the, the top level and the crane are in the Saturn V Center. And the white room, the Kansas Cosmosphere, got that and restored it, and it's in place. And I, I th the rest of it, I believe, just got scrapped, you know, just gone. So I... I know that NASA and and I guess modern day now like SpaceX isn't in the you know the career of selling souvenirs, but I feel like genuinely like if you hire just a contractor or you know a couple people to say hey, take this and just cut it up in bits, give put a little plaque that says this is this launch pad from blah blah. Or nowadays with some starships leftovers, if someone just went out and cut out stamps of some of the starships and sold skateboards. It in, I mean, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, you could make someone could make like literally millions of dollars there. I mean, harvesting our nostalgia. Yeah, you're you're basically Ray, uh, Ray from Star Wars, right? Go in and harvest the star destroyer and yes. sell it for parts. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. That's exactly right. But actually, honestly, that's why you two in particular are excellent examples of this. Of like, we can't go back to these launch sites, but we have high-res photos of every bit of this infrastructure where we in the future are not going to go back to starbase when it was in you know 2021 time frame but we have how many hours of you walking around with elon looking at every little detail in this facility you know and and like you two won't say it because you're both you and you're very humble and stuff but like people in 100 and 200 years are going to go back to some of your work 
and look at this stuff and and look at things from a different era the way that we do you know we just found Ernest Shackleton's boat at the bottom of the Antarctic and we're going down to look at that now like some of the work that you're doing is that in a century or two and I don't know if either of you have thought about that or are even considering that or if you just put it out of your mind because it's a weird thought but I hope they don't wait a hundred years. I mean, it's right there now. <laughs> they should buy it now. Yeah. So, that, so you've got another book coming out. Uh, I saw Spring. Oh, yeah. What's what's going on with uh, Orbital Planes here? So this is yeah. This is called Orbital Planes. Here's the cover. Little detail shot. Discovery. Show the, the spine there. Um, it's coming out in. Uh, it was supposed to be April nineteenth. I just saw it listed on Amazon. That was May twenty fourth. So sometime this spring. It's. It's funny because I'm tra- I know what boat it's on. I've been tracking it. It made it through the Panama Canal. It's headed to Port of Long Beach or Los Angeles. I'm not sure which one. That's amazing. So it's uh, I'm too cheap to pay for the tracker, so I only get an update like once a week. But it's somewhere <laughs> off the coast, the coast of South America or Mexico right now. It's on its way. Um, yeah. So I I've been photographing the space shuttle off and on for. I actually started doing some work with our with the college's planetarium back in 1988. Um, right around the return to flight and uh, had been doing stuff. And then in, in 2008, I, I put in a proposal to NASA to, to do a more concentrated effort on the, on the last, well, what I thought would be three years, which ended up being five years of the program. And uh, it has resulted in this book, which I'm real happy with. Um, it's another publication uh, by Damiani who did interior space. They do a really beautiful job publishing um, who, it's two hundred. I gotta ask you, who does who does the layouts and the and all the graphic design work on it too? Uh, they do. I mean, I lay out the image sequence to a great extent. In, in really, in all these books, then the, then uh, it's um, then they do the font and kind of that stuff. But the rough layout is mine. The detail stuff is them. So well, I love it all. It's so clean um, and cool. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, it's um, you know, it, it it's I call it a personal vision. Orbital planes a personal vision of the space shuttle because it's, um, you know, I'm not a launch photographer. I'm not photograph launches, but I've never had the gear. You know, I have friends like Mike Brown from Florida today who let me tap into his trigger system and stuff once in a while. But, um, you know, there's such you know you've got John Krause and Ben Cooper and these people that are just I mean it's their thing and they're they're awesome. They so I'm not going to try to compete with that. But so this is more detailed shots. It's very similar to, you know, kind of a combination of abandoned place and interior space. That same, I call it a documentary abstract approach where I'm documenting it, but I do more of these abstract images at the same time. And uh, um, I talk about, it's really a lot of stories about my experiences photographing the shuttle and going through the Challenger accident. And that was a big impact on my life. So um you know, there's a little bit of writing in it and a lot of photographs. Uh, if you like space stuff, I think you'll like it. Where should they uh, follow along to? What's the situation? Because I know you did it's Kickstarter around it. Now it's in the Panama Canal or something. So what's the situation with people that want to buy it? You have to go to Panama. Um, yeah. <laughs> you have to do a heist on the high seas yeah, yeah. if you want the book. <laughs> pirate, pirate that cargo ship and find that container. Um, they, uh, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it through Damiani. Um, uh, you know, there's a, a number of different ways. Uh, contact me through my website. I can I can hook you up with a signed copy if you want to. Uh, I'm working on. I will plug one more thing. I, I'm working on another book with a different publisher on the space shuttle. 
as well. It's um, photographs of by NASA, mostly a few other photographers. And it's kind of a mission by mission look at the space shuttle program, starting with the, the free flights. So I'm, I'm kind of reprocessing those images, trying to pull out what I can and, and then a lot of writing about, about each, um, each mission. So that that's Very coming cool. out in September, I believe. Oh, wow. All right, it's well, called, we'll have to have you back on to talk about orbital planes and then that one later in this year. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's called uh, the Space Shuttle, a mission-by-mission mission celebration of NASA's Extraordinary Spaceflight Program. So it's a mouthful, but awesome. that's it. Tim, what are you working on and these days? What you got cooking? Ooh, I am, we are, have been working on a video doing just the engine cycles. Like uh, almost, you know, for the Raptor video, I had this little section that was kind of explaining different power cycles of, of rocket engines. And so I'm kind of trying to do these more like, uh, I, w- I don't want to say entry level, but kind of the, the basics of rocket science, the basics of, of things. So we did the, why don't rocket engines melt? We're working on the engine cycles. Then like we'll do injectors and how to start a rocket engine, kind of all these like, you know, I think overall topic things that I that I think are a little more evergreen and a little, I think, kind of valuable for the space flight community, hopefully. Uh, but this one's really, the, the graphics on it are incredible. The team's been doing an amazing job, and we're just kind of plugging away at it one day at a time. So, yeah, that's, that's what we're working awesome. on. And then SLS rollout next week. So, that's yeah. Cool. That's crazy yeah. that's next week. Really fun. I know, yeah. finally. Wow. It's going to be great. Uh, what do we got yeah. next week? Jake's at LPSC this week, which is a fun conference. As always, he, he goes to nerd out about planetary science. So he's coming back next week. And I think we're going to... He might bring some friends from LPSC, which will be fun to talk about what he got into down there. Uh, and I think that's it. Oh, we have YouTube memberships turned on for Off Nominal. If anyone likes to support the show, get into the Off Nominal Discord, which is a very rad place. Uh, check that out. YouTube.com slash Off Nominal. If you are an audio person listening to this on the podcast... You should definitely go back and watch this one on video because we were showing off photography this whole time. And so this is probably not the best audio episode that you've ever heard. <laughs> so maybe try out the video on this one and uh, buy Roland's books. Watch Tim's uh, videos that may or may not kill him with how much uh, time is put into these suckers considering what happened with the Soviet engine uh, video. never again. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you both so much for hanging out with me. It's been awesome to chat about space photography and whatnot it's it's uh i've enjoyed this thoroughly so if no one else did then you know get (laughs) get screwed i guess i don't know (laughs) yeah it's a pleasure meeting you too roland this is this is great i'm I'm a big fan so it's it's awesome ditto yeah all right everybody see you later all right one two three four five five four three two one end of test